This is Business Breakdowns. Business Breakdowns is a series of conversations with investors and operators diving deep into a single business. For each business, we explore its history, its business model, its competitive advantages, and what makes it tick. We believe every business has lessons and secrets that investors and operators can learn from, and we are here to bring them to you. To find more episodes of Breakdowns, check out joincolossus.com. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions. Hosts and podcast guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Today, we will be breaking down Calm. Founded in 2012, Calm is the leading app for sleep and meditation. Today, Calm has over 4 million subscribers and it has had over 100 million downloads in its history. Amazingly, it has been generating cash flow since its inception. In this business breakdown, we go into details around how Calm discovered its primary use case by leveraging data, how the annual subscription pricing has unlocked their growth, how content sits at the center of their vision, and what the industry landscape looks like moving ahead. To break down Calm, I am joined by my brother, Vinny Pooji, partner at Left Lane Capital, a growth stage investment firm focused on consumer businesses. Well, Vinny Pooji, welcome to Business Breakdowns. This is a particularly fun episode because Vinny is my brother and is also the business expert on Calm and several other consumer growth stage businesses. Welcome, Vinny. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So let's jump right in. What is Calm and what does the business do? Calm is a platform, primarily mobile app, to help people hone their mindfulness through meditation, what we would call mental fitness, improving their sleep, and generally helping them manage the stress and anxiety of daily life. And everybody uses it differently, which is one of the most interesting things about it. So I, for example, will use the ambient noise while I'm working. And then I use sleep stories to help myself fall asleep. You might never use any of those features. You might only use the morning meditations. So it really is kind of an oasis in your pocket. How do people pay for it? So typically people pay an annual upfront subscription. Most folks are coming in through the app store. And so Apple is taking its cut, which we can get into later, but they're paying 60, 70 bucks a year. And if you want, you can find a way to pay monthly, but you'll pay a a little bit more effectively on a monthly basis. So the vast majority of people opt for subscription. You mentioned you use it in a couple of different ways. What are the top two or three use cases that customers tend to use it for and how they work, what they do, what's the value prop for the customer? If you look at how Calm was used and the features that they had five, six years ago, it was really a learn how to meditate platform. And it was similar to Headspace and a number of other companies at the time. And this was when meditation was just starting to go mainstream. And so you might go on it, listen to a guided meditation. And a guided meditation is one of a hundred different ways to meditate, but they're actually going to help you be conscious about paying attention to your breath and getting your mind into a state where maybe you can get a glimpse of truly being present and in the moment. Now today, the way people might use Calm and the way I use Calm as an example is any number of use cases, which could be learning to meditate but it could also be calming down in the afternoon with either a peaceful piano song or some nice ambient music or even uh, photos and videos, landscapes that help you relax. And the vast majority of people use Calm around bedtime. 
And that was really an innovation that Calm kind of stumbled into and productized really nicely. Some people use it to fall asleep with an adult-focused sleep story. Matthew McConaughey, talk you to sleep. You can also do a sleep meditation where they just help you pay attention to the tightness that's maybe in your chest and in your stomach at the end of the day and work through it. So I want to get into some of the evolution of how these different products came together. But before we do that, tell us the story. Who started this business? How did it start? And what was the insights, unique insights that they had to get this business going? So in late 2012, Michael and Alex start com.com. <laughs> and on this website, you have a library of content and it wasn't necessarily orderly. You had a competitor out there, Headspace. Headspace made actually what I would say would be the, one of the first breakthroughs, which is, well, let's make meditation mainstream by creating a really linear course of how to learn meditation and calm followed suit. Now, in that same time, you had Apple creating and opening up the app store. And suddenly you could have tremendous content and functionality inside your pocket. And the big innovation, and we can dig into this later, of the Calm founders is content as a utility. So they said, well, hey, we don't just want the monk to enjoy mindfulness. We want the everyday person who needs a 10-minute breather at the beginning, middle, or end of their day to take that breath to combat that anxiety, that stress, and be able to live a better life for it. For them, it's not that it was this vast strategic decision. It was really, hey, this is where a lot of users are, and this is the easiest way to reach them. So they made the Calm app. Fast forward to 2015, Calm had reached 2 million downloads. It was starting to become a brand, and it was still the distant number two to Headspace. In 2016, they started productizing around sleep, because when they studied the usage patterns, they found that users were using it around 9, 10, 11 p.m. And it's pretty hard to find a bigger trend and a bigger problem than sleep. Because while meditation was starting to become mainstream, sleep's always been a trend. In fact, you could say people do it every day. When they started productizing around sleep, that's when it opened up from being just a meditation-focused thing to what they are today, which is mental fitness. That's why you see meditation, sleep stories, sleep meditation, even body wellness, soundscapes, landscapes, et cetera, a number of ways meant to be this vast selection of ways that you can go to just take a deep breath and relax. Vinny, one of the unique things about Calm's business is they have hundreds of millions of downloads and 4 million subscribers. And so there's this huge freemium component in their business. Can you talk about how they've thought about freemium and how you view it from an investor perspective? I actually think it's productive to even define freemium because even though it's quite common to you and I, 50 years ago, if you told a business owner, yeah, the vast majority of your customers, people you have to make happy, they're not going to give you a penny. In fact, they're just going to cost you money. They'd say, well, get those folks out of my store. They're window shoppers. I don't need all those people here and I don't want to lose money on them. In the case of Calm, you might be a college student, download Calm, use it here and there. And then you start working two years later. And you go, gosh, I really need Calm right now. And I'm going to start paying for it. Calm wants top of funnel, not only because it drives brand, not only because it creates a lot of positive buzz about the company, but it is the beginning of the funnel. And somewhere down there in that funnel, they hope that you convert into a paying user. But if you have the app on your phone, they can send you a push notification. They can probably send you an email because I think they have your email address. And they can actually make you a paying customer at some point in your life. So they'd rather have more 
than less people using their product, even if they're using it for free. And over time, they've gotten a lot better at what we call moving up the paywall. And now they're not one, 2% of people that are paying users. Now it's three, four, five, six, seven percent of people are paying subscribers. And what is the thing that they use to push you to become a paid subscriber? What's the big winning feature there? It's no one thing. It is just slowly putting more and more content behind the paywall. So it used to be that you could use 95% of the app for free. Now you can use maybe 10, 20% of the app for free. The stuff you do is the same. It's just that the iceberg has gotten longer underneath it. That's right. So now you can maybe do one sleep story for free, but if you want to do a second in that series or any other series, you're going to have to pay. You said there was the shift to mobile, there's a shift to content, there's subscription, there's this shift to sleep. If you were to, I don't know, force rank what led to their success, how would you do it? The means through which people are using the app most frequently or using the service most frequently, you have to put mobile really high up on the list. It's not original to them. It's not unique to them these days, but it is really key for why they were able to go mainstream. And they have Apple to thank for that. The second thing is absolutely the shift to sleep. In 2017, 2018, when I say Calm was an underdog, you've got Headspace that's raised 75 million bucks, is 150, 200 people, and you've got Calm that's raised 3 million bucks and is 20 people. And the reason why Calm overtook Headspace, which is quite solid and publicly noted at this point, is that shift to sleep. And today you mentioned the different ways you can use the app. Is it one subscription and you can use all of them or are there different products for different uses? How does that look in the app today? That's right. So similar to Netflix, Shopify, Amazon Prime, et cetera, it is an annual subscription for most people. You can pay monthly and it's an all you can eat offering. So regardless of if you use Calm 100 times a day or zero times a day, you'll keep paying the same price. From what you know, is that on purpose or is that just sort of part of their evolution? It's very much on purpose. It's purposeful for a few reasons. One is the strength of the business model. You're collecting 70 bucks per year per customer. And more likely than not, you have to pay something to acquire that customer. So Calm's actually able to pay back immediately on that acquisition spend. And then when the vast majority of customers renew in year two, year three, year four, that's pure profit because the content that they produce is very high margin. At the same time, the American consumer, especially, but increasingly international consumers have become more and more comfortable with the consumer subscription. Your Dropbox, your Netflix, your Spotify, they've trained you to say, oh, that's okay. I'm okay with paying you company XYZ every single year and giving you the gift of predictable revenue because you in turn are gonna have more money to invest in content and better features and better customer service for me. And that promise is what's actually allowed this entire industry to flourish and allows Netflix to entertain you so well because they know exactly how much money they're gonna have for it next year. Yeah, let's double click on the economics. On average, someone pays $70 a year. How many years does somebody stick around conceptually? In year one of a customer's life, the majority of customers stick around. If you renew after year one, you have a very high likelihood of sticking around. So let's pretend that 60 plus percent of customers are sticking around in the first year. Of that renewal base, you're going to see 80 plus percent of customers renewing in years two, three, four, and so on and so forth. 
So you'll see the average customer sticking around for, let's say, two and a half years. Yeah. So let's just say $70 the first year and the following year, 60 times 80 is 50% roughly. So then 35, 35, 35. So theoretically, someone can stick around for a pretty long time. Let's make up a number, 300 bucks. Let's just say 200 bucks. or That's probably a good number, $200. Where does that $200 go from a unit economics perspective? The way I would look at the $200 is a big chunk of comm subscribers are coming straight from the Apple App Store. And when they're coming straight from the App Store, Apple is getting their cut. So they're subscribing through Apple and Apple is taking, it depends on the scale of your app to start, maybe it's 30%, then maybe you can negotiate it down over time. Maybe it could get to 20%. This has been a very public thing in the press with various companies fighting with Apple over it, but Apple is going to take their cut. Let's pretend it's 20%. So out of 200 bucks over the years, Apple is going to make 40 bucks. So on a blended basis, they end up making around $40. What else? Then you've got your content budget. The beauty of Calm is they're not producing high-risk movies. They're producing with tremendous amounts of data, really consistently high-quality content. Now, you can imagine that getting LeBron or getting Matthew McConaughey might cost a little bit more than a not-yet-famous meditation coach. But overall, let's say that they're going to spend another 20 bucks or so in that lifetime on content. And then they'll probably spend about another 20 bucks on what I would call maintenance research and development. That's things like server costs and just the necessary expense to make their money. And then customer acquisition. Right. So what you're left over with is 120 bucks and then customer acquisition. And some of that is paid, some of that is organic. One of the strengths of Calm, the brand they've built, the virality of the product, and really a testament to the quality is that even at scale, they've maintained a huge chunk of new users from organic sources. So roughly about half of users are coming from organic sources. So let's say that you've got a $40 acquisition cost. And again, these are made up numbers. So you've got $120 of margin compared to a $40 acquisition cost. And the way that most investors would look at that is, hey, I've got a three times lifetime value gross margin lifetime value versus my acquisition cost. Vinny, you look at consumer businesses all day. Can you help us understand what's so different and special about those unit economics versus say we can pick like a food company or something that's a more traditional, accessible consumer, direct-to-consumer type business? Let's take a mattress because everybody likes picking on the mattress companies. Let's say that you buy a $1,000 mattress online. And in reality that mattress company might be using the exact same contract manufacturer as any number of other mattresses. So they actually had to give you a bunch of discounts and promos to convince you to take their relatively commoditized mattress instead of their competitors. You actually only paid $750 after discounts. And after their cost of goods and shipping, they had about $500 left over, which is great. That's $500. It's a lot more than comp. The problem is because it's so competitive, you actually had to pay 400 bucks to acquire that customer. So you've got a hundred bucks of margin left over. Now that's still more than what we described with Calm, but what's the difference between Calm and this mattress? Well, first of all, it's a thousand dollar mattress. That's a pretty premium product. I wouldn't call it exactly a hundred percent mass market, but more importantly, you sold it once. The next time that user wants to buy a mattress or someone in their family wants to buy a mattress, you probably have to completely reacquire them from scratch versus with Calm, the strength of that renewal base is really what drives the ultimate profitability of the business. 
it's pretty amazing that even including the content expenses and the tech expenses and the Apple tax, you're still clearing more on a gross basis pre-CAC than most D2C companies that have a physical product that they have to ship you or that they have to push out to you. That's right. Because we use mattresses, but most D2C products are socks that you buy for 20 bucks online. And then there's another unique thing here that you've talked about a couple of times already around the cash flow positive nature of the way that they bill. Can you talk a little bit more again about how that versus most of the consumer companies you see works from a cash flow perspective in their business? Usually for any business, really, you're paying as you go. You're paying as you consume. It's not like you're going to walk to KFC and pay them for whatever you might consume that year. You're going to pay for whatever that trip is. In this case, the American consumer and consumers in general have been trained to appreciate the pros and also the cons of a subscription-based business model. And so Com is able to bill 70 bucks annually upfront. They collect that cash day one. And what happens in a normal D2C subscription, like a meal kit or razors? What's the norm? And for somebody listening, help them understand how powerful that upfront cash flow dynamic is to this business. The norm, and you can pick on Dollar Shave Club or any number of companies, HelloFresh, Freshly, et cetera, you're going to pay probably once a month for that product or service, and they're going to make their margin on it. And it's probably in the order of tens of dollars. So let's say you're spending 20 bucks a month on your razor. The company makes $10 in margin. Every single month, you have an opportunity to churn. So more likely than not, their retention is going to be quite a bit lower unless it's truly an addicting product. And in addition to the low retention, they're not going to pay back on their acquisition spend. And we'll dig back into that, but they're not going to pay back on that acquisition spend for months. Some of them won't pay back on it for years, depending on how good their margins are or how low their acquisition cost is. Let's go back to that $40 CAC example with Com. Com is making $70 from you after they pay Apple. They're making 56 bucks from you. After they pay their other fees, they're still making enough money to instantly pay back on that acquisition cost. So they do not lose money on day zero. And after that, it's pure profit. You're constantly investing in these businesses. You're writing them big checks. So how does it look for a dollar? Let's just presume they had the same CAC. Dollar Shave has a $40 CAC. These guys have a $40 CAC. I mean, the quick math, if you're making $10 a month, it would take me four months by the time I could take that cash back and reinvest it versus these guys already got the cash on day one. From a person who gives money to this, how much more efficient are they with capital than than somebody who gets monthly paid? And I have to be a stickler on the Dollar Shave Club example because there's still intra-year churn. Every month there's churn. And so once you factor in retention, it's actually going to take Dollar Shave Club more than four months to pay back that 40 bucks. But the nature of those cash flow dynamics is that Calm feels like they can press a button and grow. And they don't need to raise more money. They don't need to take more dilution. They don't need to think about debt. They can just grow. On the other hand, that other company, while very attractive still, they need to finance that because they're going to burn money as they grow. And that means that they need to raise venture capital money from me, or they need to go to companies like ClearBank or Wayflyer to raise debt capital, or they need to think of some other creative means to bridge that gap, or they need to grow more slowly. When you see a business that has the cash flow dynamics that allow for infinite growth with no friction, that's a really special thing in our world. Yeah, it's incredible. 
Let's switch gears and talk a little bit about what makes this business win and special. And there's one that you've mentioned a couple of times, this shift that they had to sleep. I'd love to go deep. How did they figure that out? I mean, how did they figure out that sleep was important? And then how did they capitalize on that fact? So the beauty of these internet companies in general, especially mobile app companies, is that every single thing your customer does, you're tracking. Calm as they're building this meditation instruction and then guided meditation app starts to see when and how and who are using the product. And the really exciting thing we saw as investors is that it wasn't just the coastal elites, the people who couldn't stop talking about mindfulness and meditation. It was people in the middle of the country, normal people who had a stressful day. Maybe they're working two jobs. Their household income wasn't 200, 300K, it was 50, 60K. And they said, I need help going to sleep. And so they were opening up the app at 9, 10, 11 p.m. And here's the kicker. They retained at higher rates than those coastal elite users who just wanted to learn how to meditate. And once they learned how to meditate, they were on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And so they picked up on this sleep thing. I mean, it's kind of a genius find. You talked about the competitiveness with Headspace. They were smaller than Headspace and they've gone on. Now they're bigger than Headspace. I mean, it's not just mobile analytics. Was there a cultural thing? Is there something unique? How long did it take Headspace to pick up on this dynamic? Unpack that part a little bit for us. I'll say that I think both of them are strong businesses today, but at the time, Headspace was really this VC behemoth. I think they'd raised about 75 million bucks. Their team was just under 200 people. They were burning money and they had created what I would call a linear educational experience. What that means is people would go there and learn how to meditate with a very rigorously tied together meditation course for beginners. The problem with that is when you finish a course, you churn off of it. Now, Calm, the vision of the founders was more around creating a set of resources and not telling you what to do. Sure, they have their seven days or their 21 days of beginning meditation, but the app is really set up in a way that says, hey, you're here. Take a deep breath. How can we help you? Did they have an onboarding course the same way Headspace did, but they just didn't force you into it? That's right. So they didn't force you into it nearly in the same way. So even though I might have entered and done that course, when I opened up the app the next time, it didn't push me into the next class necessarily. And that's a risk, by the way. Normally, you might say, hey, make sure they complete their course. Make sure they show that type of engagement. Here's the thing. If you're stressed out today, maybe you're not stressed out tomorrow. It's okay if you don't open that. For everyone, combating stress and anxiety is a very personal and unique process. And maybe you don't want to hear another human's voice. Maybe you just want to hear a piano. I think the Calm founders and the team there recognize that. So they were this little 20-person company. They honed in on sleep. And they also honed in on the power of celebrity. And that's a lot of Michael's genius. This is a really fascinating industry, especially when you think of it as time spent, content, some of these other areas. I'm curious how you think it's going to play out. And I'll give you scenario A, scenario B, and maybe scenario C. So scenario A is the arms race. Think of maybe Netflix and Disney Plus. You're going to keep spending more money, more content, or Amazon, and they're going to keep going against each other. That's scenario A. Scenario B is kind of a race to the bottom. It gets cheaper, easier. You get more value. And scenario C might be a bigger player comes in and takes it over, or there's a race to become the platform. How do you see Com Headspace and generally this industry evolving? One of the most fascinating things about consumer products is the conviction 
that their customers have about how good their preferred product is. For example, you love Coke Zero, and I know people who only drink Pepsi. I always buy Crest, you always buy Colgate. So when you've got a big enough category, and I'm not talking about meditation, I'm talking about mindfulness and sleep and stress management in general, there's always room. And evidently, there's particularly room for two big players. And I suspect that Common Headspace will be the two big players in this space. So I'll just say that because I don't think either of their success is mutually exclusive for the other. You kind of said it very specifically, like different people calm down in different ways. Conventional knowledge was to force you through an onboarding course, their ability to be nimble and allow that. Was there anything else as it relates to this switch from meditation focus to sleep focus or a calming focus? The company has a culture of data centricity and being nimble. Once they saw the effect that sleep had on acquisition cost, on retention, et cetera, they really leaned into it. And by increasing entry points, they found that they can maintain low acquisition costs and high retention at scale. And when I say entry points, I mean, some people are brave enough, strong enough to wake up in the morning and start their day with a new ritual. And that's amazing because they formed a new habit. But other people really just need something to help them unwind in the middle of the night. A lot of people actually prefer listening to something while they work. Increasing entry points, the team at Com has further productized all these different parts of your day when maybe you're feeling a little frazzled, cracked, tired, whatever it might be. And so they've just continued along that trend, but sleep is really a core pillar of the product. I know in their ads, they show rain sound. I love sleeping to rain sound. My kids love sleeping to rain sound. Was there one thing like that that ended up being really meaningful or powerful for them? It wasn't any one soundscape or meditation. I will say the thing that put them on the map for a lot of people was actually the Matthew McConaughey sleep story. And it wasn't their first one, but it was certainly the one that excited a lot of fans. Let's talk about content creation. So an obvious risk to a business like this, you don't have expenses or you don't have shipping food or anything like that, but then someone tomorrow can build the same business and create the same idea. When did they start to think of the idea of the Matthew McConaughey's and the celebrity endorsements? Were they earlier than everybody else? And what has that led to in the business? They were earlier than most people to realize the power of celebrity in a space like this and making it extremely bite-sized and accessible. And they lean into it. Today, it's not by mistake that you see LeBron in many ways as the face of calm for the masses and with his own meditation courses. The unique thing about content, in addition to the way that they do content, which again is very data-driven, very focused on specific use cases, is that when content is tied to utility, there's a breakthrough in habit formation. I'll unpack that sentence. You and I like watching Seinfeld before we go to bed. There's almost a Pavlovian effect of us sitting down at 11 p.m. and turning on Seinfeld and getting sleepy and going to bed. So what are we actually doing? We're creating a habit. It is kind of helping us go to bed, but it's also TV flashing blue light in our eyes. Maybe we spend a long time scrolling through deciding what episode. Maybe it encourages us to eat a bunch of salty snacks when we do so. What the Calm founders realized is, you know what, why don't we just purely create content that is meant for a very specific utility in your day? Content's always been a good business, but content as a utility is a core innovation that they had. In sleep, for example, you're not looking at a screen, you're just listening to a voice, and you can drift off. And let's say you like 
rain noise, like you said, you can actually turn on rain noise with Matthew McConaughey's voice. And once he's done, rain noise will stay on. That's a pretty magical user experience and it'll create that habit inside of you. Yeah, so content as a utility is this idea that you can listen to something or consume something for some specific benefit, which is different than watching TV or listening to music. Are there other examples that just to make it more relatable of content as a utility that come to mind? In reality, content as a utility has been limited largely to education and it's not fun or relaxing typically. Content for entertainment is what we all think of, right? That's Disney. But content for utility has usually been, okay, I'm going to go on to Khan Academy and I'm going to learn how to solve this complex chemistry question. Right. So it's almost a new category somewhere between entertainment and education. That's right. Where someone can consume content for a specific purpose, in this case, sleep. I'm trying to think if there are others like driving a car, parenting. I can't think of an obvious one right now. So that was the first part of this is content as a utility. The second part was creating a habit. I guess your point is those two are connected. So the habit of watching the Seinfeld example is the habit of watching TV already exists to calm down. Now they basically productize that. They productize the late night TV show that so many people do. And that is key to any consumer company being a mass market success. That's what the folks at Procter and Gamble and Johnson and Johnson and every large consumer company that you respect really study. They study habit formation. When the folks at Febreze couldn't figure out how to sell that product, they studied and they studied and they studied and they found, oh, wow, people like breathing in this clean feeling smell. It's not by mistake that that's what you see on the ads. They will make a room neat, spray, and then take a deep breath in and say, ah, I feel relaxed. My room is clean. And that's why that's what they advertise. What are other good examples of habit creation you've seen across consumer businesses that you've invested in? Take Freshly, for example. Freshly is very, very simple. Every day you eat lunch, you walk over to the fridge and you open it up and you look at what's in there. When you get used to eating a certain meal at a certain time of the day, we're all creatures of habit. We want it. We crave it. And in the case of Freshly, you actually will open up your fridge and say, perfect, I've got a Freshly. Only two, three minutes and voila, now I'm eating. We recently invested in a company called Tavala. It's a similar experience, but the oven actually cooks the food for you. When we see magical experiences like that with a relatively short time to realize the benefit of it, and Calm certainly has this, 10 minutes later, you feel more relaxed. That's when things click. The most simple ones are your toothpaste. The original one was the mint, getting you addicted to the mint in your toothpaste and telling you that was a good thing. In terms of the way content works in their business, Is it more like Spotify, which is sort of a variable cost model for content, or is it more like Netflix, where it's a fixed cost approach to content? We study Netflix. We see the evolution of business model A to business model B and the strength of business model B. Netflix used to license everything, and they got punished. The more content they needed, the more they would license, the more people would watch. Spotify, for many years, burned through cash because of their power users. And they didn't want to discourage that power usage, but that's a tough thing to marry with a fixed cost subscription service. Now, Calm really doesn't have that problem. Pay fixed fees, they have full-time staff, and they produce high-quality content. It's a little bit more like HBO, but a lot more simple. LeBron or Matthew McConaughey, are they fixed costs they're paying them? 
sometimes you might see a celebrity invest in the company and get compensated in a more long-term way. But in general, they're very strict about how they control content costs. Let's talk about distribution and brand for Calm. What did they do that was really unique in the way they got this to become part of a very well-known brand with hundreds of millions of downloads? First of all, the name Calm, I mean, that is a really, really spot on name. They've always been branded as Calm. Take a deep breath. When I open up the app, I actually feel more relaxed. From the TV advertisement to me actually opening up the app, it's a perfectly branded and consistently branded experience. And as you scale further and further, brand actually really matters. The second thing they did was get a ton of PR. Initially, that was just kind of luck. And then they actually started hiring people that could make sure they were getting in the news because this is actually really interesting data that the news loves. Oh, wow, we have tens of millions, hundreds of millions of downloads. Oh, you know what? 70 million Americans can't fall asleep at night. And we're working with a million of them, 2 million of them, 4 million of them to help them fall asleep at night. It's really interesting data. And they're on the cutting edge. We just had something, the pandemic, which really highlighted that. People couldn't sleep. They were feeling stressed. And you had really big news outlets talking about Calm in a completely unpaid organic fashion. And Calm has become a master of parlaying that brand and that organic content through PR into then paid content. Because what they'll do is they'll take snippets of that and they'll actually advertise them with their own dollars. And then they'll even go further and they'll go across TV, radio, brand partnerships. And when I say brand partnerships, I mean like the partnership with Express Spa, where you say Express Spa by Calm and a variety of other outlets like that. And don't get me wrong, it is the vast majority, probably Facebook still, and actually put real dollars behind that. But the flywheel works because for every paid user that Calm acquires, another free user hears about it. So they've been able to maintain that healthy ratio at scale because the product's good, because people like talking about it, because people say, you know what, I've had a, an issue with sleeping and now I don't. And it's thanks to this Calm app. And everybody in the office says, oh, wow, let me try that. Do you guys have any way of measuring how often what you describe just happens? Like how much word of mouth do they get? We do. I mean, that's a huge part of the secret sauce, not only of Calm, but a lot of the most successful consumer internet companies is actually building a really serious attribution model. You're always tinkering and tracing, and you can do it through really advanced means like tracing IP addresses and advertising in specific geographies and not others. You're constantly doing multivariate testing from a variety of sectors of, okay, I'm going to target this group, not that, or I'm going to target this geography or this age demographic or whatever it might be. And the company has gotten really, really tuned into every single lever that they have from the first time someone mentions Calm to you downloading the app, to you converting to being a paid user, to you sticking around for a long time. And when you add up all the variables in that, that's thousands of different paths that you could have taken. And you better bet that they've got really complex models where they kind of try to measure those paths and continue to optimize them. You've looked at software a lot at one point in your career. What kind of business is this? Is this a software business or is it a consumer business? In many ways, it's all the above. I call businesses like this consumer software. And I call them consumer software to really simplify it for people because these days, software almost equals software as a subscription, software as a service. And SaaS has gone mainstream. And we've all realized the benefits of that business model. You pay annual upfront, 
The company gets the benefit of the cash flow. They overinvest in content research and development features, customer service, et cetera. And as they scale, that renewal base allows them to continue overinvesting compared to as if they had to resell everything every single year. Now, Com has all the benefits, the margin profile, the retention profile, et cetera, of those enterprise software businesses. Frankly, I think they're more similar than they are different. Are there other consumer businesses that are similar? Is Peloton a similar business to this? I'm curious if there's other analogs that you'd look to as guiding. Absolutely. Yeah, I think Peloton is a very good example. They really helped create this category and it shows you what honing a business model and user experience can do to the value of a category because fitness equipment and the companies they're in did not trade at high multiples. They traded at relatively conservative cash flow multiples. Not only did Peloton ride a wave similar to Calm in something becoming a bit more mass market, but they actually took it as an opportunity to create a better product and then better content. And the result is a significantly better business model because Peloton makes a lot of money when they sell a piece of hardware and they usually pay back their entire acquisition cost and then some. And in addition to that, they get you to subscribe to their content. And that subscription has an incredibly high renewal rate because not only did you already commit a few thousand bucks to this device, and so you're probably not just going to fall out of favor with it one month to the next, at the same time, you actually get a lot of value from it and you see it in your home and you use it. And even if you use it once, twice, three times, fitness, wellness in general is aspirational. So there's always a delta for companies like Calm, companies like Peloton between actual usage utilization ratios and the renewal rates. Because when I don't use Calm for five, six months, I kind of feel bad. I kind of feel guilty. And I actually don't churn because I say, oh, you know what? I am going to use it next month. So similar to the gym, they are actually collecting a real amount of revenue from customers who didn't forget that they have it. They want to have it. Yeah. It's almost like health and wellness is this unique category where even if you don't use it much, you're probably still going to keep paying for it. That's right. Because you made a decision and a commitment when you got it. Let's talk about COVID for them. You mentioned it earlier. COVID was for a lot of businesses, very detrimental for restaurants, for D2C e-commerce businesses that drove a ton of growth for them. How did their business respond to COVID and what were the factors that drove it? Yeah, I think similar to a lot of consumer internet businesses, they experienced great tailwinds. The reasons why they were able to capture and sustain those tailwinds is that they actually said, you know what, there's two pandemics going on. One maybe is an epidemic, but people can't sleep. There's a lot of stuff going on. If you just pick on the US, you've got the combination of the election, BLM, and of course, COVID. And you know what? People don't feel the way they used to feel. They feel uniquely stressed, uniquely anxious. They can't sleep as well as they have their whole lives. And so it, it only made the macro trends driving comms need in society that much sharper. And so you can bet that their growth shot up with that. The really interesting thing with COVID winners, as we would call them, is that not only do they pull forward growth from people who were probably going to at some point try the product or service, they also exposed it to people who never would have thought about it, to the father or the grandmother who were never going to download a mobile app, but now they've been stuck at home for six months. They don't feel like themselves and they need a better way to relax. And someone suggests, or maybe they see an ad on CNN or otherwise for calm. And they actually try this. And that made COVID a market expander for a lot of consumer internet businesses, certainly including calm. 
was comms impact from COVID more like Zoom where it seemed like everybody went to one thing and started using that thing? Or was it more like e-commerce where it was sort of the rising tide? I'd say it was closer to e-commerce than it was to Zoom. I mean, Zoom was uniquely a COVID winner and the numbers are staggering on their growth. I'd say comm grew a bit faster than they were growing before, but not orders of magnitude different. So when you think about if comm is worth substantially more in the next five to 10 years, what would have happened to create that sort of much more valuable business? What would be the drivers of a more valuable business for comm? One thing that a lot of successful consumer and consumer internet companies do when they reach scale, ClassPass has done this, Udemy has done this, and many more will do this, is they actually build up the B2B side of the company. So they start selling from their business to other businesses directly. And that's been a large and fast-growing channel for Com. Not only are they doing large partnerships with insurance companies like Kaiser Permanente, they're also doing, hey, Jesse, you run XYZ company, your employees are stressed out. You've certainly heard of Com, right? Well, yeah, of course I've heard of Com. Well, we'll give you a special rate and all your employees can have Com. It's increasingly expected in the workplace that you will provide benefits like this. We certainly do. With the Apple tax, you might as well. I mean, you can basically price it that much lower if they don't have to pay it through Apple, essentially. And that's one of two things. One is the Apple tax. Two would be the retention. Because it is very unlikely that that business customer is going to churn from the product, even if their utilization rates are 20 30%. Enterprise is a massive opportunity for them. It's a massive opportunity for them and businesses like them. The second thing would be, if you really listen to what the founders have communicated publicly, their vision is very Disney-like. They really see a future where you're going to Calm Island just to experience mindfulness at its best. And when you build that quality of brand, sitting on that type of content, you actually can't get disintermediated as easily as someone who has no brand. I'll give you the example of how people are consuming things. Today, people are consuming Calm through the App Store. In the future, we might think that apps are archaic. Oh, how could I use an app that's such a clunky experience? I have to pull out my phone and then download something and click it. It's too hard. Maybe in the future, people will just get into their bed and their bed will automatically play a meditation if it senses that their heart rate is higher. I see that future. But I also see the future where that meditation is branded and from calm. Because consumers at this point have come to trust that brand as the highest quality source of that content. Is that happening in the market right now? Like, are they partnering with bed companies? They've done interesting partnerships with bed companies. They partner with American Airlines. I actually find that when I get in the air, my favorite thing to do now is to do a calm meditation as we're taking off. Finding all these different interesting entry points is key for them becoming ubiquitous and it'll perpetuate itself. The island idea is kind of a crazy idea. I love it. It's very big. It's very bold. Are there more like practical, pragmatic brand extensions that they're already doing? Yeah, maybe the island's a little bit of a moonshot, but you'll see them going live with a partnership with HBO, partnership with Apple TV Plus, and even hotels and other branded experiences like you've seen with the mattress companies and the airlines and so on and so forth. So they're going to keep blocking and tackling on these partnerships and I do believe that they will achieve their mission, that they will have something of a Disneyland. When you build a brand and when you have content that doesn't go out of favor, 
you really have the ability to sell your business across mediums. We talked about selling into consumers versus selling into business versus selling into insurance companies. I think imagining the types of consumption and the platforms on which they're consumed, you and I actually don't know how it's going to be consumed in 10, 20 years. But if they have the brand and they have the content and they maintain that over the coming decades, whatever our kids are doing, it'll probably be on calm, just like the cartoons that they watch will probably be Disney. Yeah, makes sense. What about the flip side of it? So what are the big risks and challenges that they could face in the next five or 10 years? I think there are a number. One of them that I think is fairly obvious is competitive dynamics. Everybody says calm and headspace. They say them almost together, but they're far from the only ones. There's Metatopia attacking the international landscape. There's also companies like Insight Timer that are priced maybe more cheaply than Calm is. It highlights the need to stay actually even more consistent and in their lane. I think an investor might see that when a company is small and say, oh my gosh, how are they going to deal with the competition? But as you see them compound really nicely, scale really nicely, you say, oh, wow, their brand and their content just remaining consistent actually etches a little calm size thing in the brain of a consumer and says, no, calm is high quality, relaxing content. Calm is mental fitness. And they've managed to stay true to that and really stave off the competition and stay clearly as the number one for many years now. I think as a brand, you kind of have to just keep doing that while also, of course, building up the distribution moats, the inherent moat of content and high quality content. And it's why in reality, we all thought, oh no, What's going to happen in Netflix? Disney Plus is succeeding. What do you know? Netflix has done just fine. People can have more than one thing that they pay for. Branding makes tons of sense. Have they integrated or taken what a competitor has done and brought it into their product? Almost like the way Instagram stories kind of stole Snapchat stories. I think a combination of integrating and partnerships has been pretty key for them and is going to be very key for the next decade. Not only are they pulling in new features? And some of these are things that they are maybe just testing out, journaling, mood tracking, et cetera. They weren't the first and they certainly won't be the last people to bring it in. But when Calm does something similar to when Facebook does something or when Drake does something, they just do it better. <laughs> and the reality is they're able to bring a lot more, not only mass market appeal, but they're able to bring a lot better engineering and product chops to a lot of these features that are otherwise commodities. They own the wellness, the mental wellness banner, iJournal, and they all of a sudden you're saying journaling would be in it. They all get consolidated into one experience. That seems like a pretty good way to avoid competitive pressures or to build that moat. Are there other major risks for them that they think a lot about solving and deal with? The inherent business model challenge of churn paying Apple a big chunk of money, still having to pay for content. These are all challenges when you extrapolate them out decades. We mentioned before, Com has 100 million plus downloads. Well, that's a lot of people. They need more people to feed into the top of funnel. And so you've seen Com going from just being in English, being in English, German, Portuguese, Spanish, et cetera. So they are expanding that. For every risk, there's of course a mitigant, but they're really expanding what can be top of funnel, not only with features, but also just accessibility. And that's language. Maybe that's pricing to a certain extent. And then you go from being a free user to being a paid user. Over time, they've gotten better. It used to be 1%, then 2%, 4%, and 5% of people 
will go from being free users to being paid users. But even once they're paid, you might lose them. Every year, you could lose that customer. So they're constantly, once again, investing in the content and investing in these features to try to keep people around. But at the same time, they've now gotten to the size where a large number of people who churn, either on their own or through a partnership, maybe they see, oh, sure, I churned from Calm a year ago, but my American Express card offers me a year for free. So sure, I'll, I'll give it a chance again. Then they could stick around for a long term. They're getting big enough that the mitigation of their problems is actually happening through their scale and their brand and their content. So it keeps going back to these core pillars of the business. So you talked about how one reason the sleep thing was important is one risk they had early on was you finish meditating and you become a good meditator and you move on. Is there a switching that goes on in this industry? Verizon, AT&T, you know, T-Mobile are always beating each other up. Is there some similar dynamic in this industry? A lot of consumer products, especially new venture-backed companies, fall victim to very serious switching behavior. In this case, you'd be shocked. There is minimal switching behavior. And that's because once you hear that voice, maybe it's Tamara Levitt's voice, maybe it's Matthew McConaughey's voice, and that does it for you, and that clicks, and that helps you relax, or that helps you go to sleep, there is an absolute, not only affiliation, there's a true Pavlovian effect that happens. If I played rain outside your office, you'd probably pass out right now because you go to sleep to rain noise every night. They have the exact same effect and the loyalty that comes with that. Any other big risks that we haven't talked about? I think you always have to acknowledge platform risk. Apple is obviously the 800 pound gorilla in the room. For the most part, they've been quite friendly to their ecosystem They recognize that services and subscription services are not only a huge chunk of their revenue, they're wildly profitable and growing very fast. So the hope is that they continue to treat that ecosystem nicely. And if and when needed, the government keeps them in check. But it's always something to be managed. And I think the com founders have proven that they are nimble enough that if for some reason Apple devices or generally apps go out of favor, that they will be on the cutting edge of delivering their service and their platform anywhere consumers are. One kind of interesting follow-up to that, is there an 800-pound gorilla who, who could Facebook them? Is there a big content player out there who says, oh, you know what, we're going to add this on and we're already part of that and already subscribed to it. That's a big risk for them. I think the companies that immediately come to mind are actually Apple because they've pushed into the content business and the fitness business and every other business that they touch. It is absolutely Spotify. Because if you look at what's actually listened to on Spotify, a huge chunk of it is ambient sound and other kind of ways of relaxing. Netflix is absolutely one of those players. They see the value of content, they bundle it in and drives loyalty for them. And Netflix is smart. They just want more and more time from you. And if you're spending time meditating, then they want that time as well. And then probably to a lesser extent, companies like Disney, not only because of similar philosophies in many ways, I actually think the culture of the two companies could go well together. Disney's also realized the value of that subscription, right? It's not by mistake that they have 100 million subscribers to Disney Plus now. Yeah. And beyond brand, I mean, brand content we've talked about as two ways they can stay ahead of that. Are there any other ways they can stay ahead of a Spotify or someone coming for them? My bias here is actually probably very different from the companies. To me, you actually want to study everything that your customer might be doing, that your power user might be doing. Let's say that they have an aura ring and partnering with and or down the line acquiring companies to further build out your ecosystem and become the platform, become the player that everybody integrates with. And maybe that means they need their own app store. 
in the case of Calm, and I won't put words in the founder's mouth, they've really just stayed true to what they're good at. It's a lot more like a media company in those ways. And they've done an excellent job of staying true and they've been rewarded with high retention and high margins and a very solid business. So kudos to them. Yeah. It's an awesome business and super fascinating that they've discovered it when and how they did. Our classic ending question here is sort of a three-part, what are the lessons for builders? What are the lessons here for investors? And then where would you look for further study? So let's just take those one at a time. What are your lessons for builders from, from the comm story? My lessons for builders would be twofold. One of them, and I've highlighted a few times, is really just staying true to your vision and being persistent, even if smart person A or investor B maybe suggests a different path. Obviously, you listen, you learn, but you can still keep doing what you're doing. And it's not always easy the first few years, but five, 10 years later, you you might just look like a genius. and, And these guys certainly do. The second path is you don't need to be doing something new. In many ways, nothing is new. Closing your eyes and taking a deep breath is not a new concept. In fact, it's one of the oldest ones. But if you think of a new way to deliver it or a new way of introducing it into a consumer's daily habits or just a new value prop that it could have, in this case, content is a utility helping you relax, that is plenty of innovation. Innovation doesn't need to happen over miles. It can happen over inches. Lessons for investors are, frankly, for me, it was sometimes the most simple businesses make for the best ones. When I first looked at this company, I said, I don't know. I feel like I could build this, right? A lot of people say that about the absolute best businesses. I think there's beauty and simplicity in that way. And then once you look under the hood, you go, oh, wow, that's not simple at all, right? The caliber of people they have, the data centricity that they have, the content strategy they have, it's not simple. But I think they have a very fundamentally strong, sound, and simple business model, and it's continued to perform at scale. Yeah, makes sense. And where would you direct people who wanted to learn more about Calm and their story? I mean, luckily, it's actually been really, really well documented. I'd say that if you're looking to learn about comms partnerships, those are quite public and you can actually study slightly more mature companies to see where they might be going. But if you're learning about consumer subscription companies, give me an email. And if you've got a good company, I'll talk to you. (laughs) If you don't, there's a number of VC blogs for you to read about the value of this business and not only comm, but Dollar Shave Club and Freshly and Netflix, they've all been really well documented. Their journeys in many ways are more similar than they are different. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Vinny, for coming on Business Breakdowns. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed this business breakdown of Calm with Vinny Pooji. What I found most interesting about Calm is their big brand vision combined with their nuanced focus on data. The story of how they use data to pivot to the sleep use case and then double down on that use case by creating content from famous actors really captured what makes this business special. To find more episodes of breakdowns ranging from Costco to Visa to Moderna, or to sign up for our weekly summary, check out joincolossus.com. That's J-O-I-N-C-O-L-O-S-S-U-S.com. 